Hello and welcome to the Star Trek Hit or Miss podcast. No, your hearing isn't deceiving you. I've not had a vocal cord transplant in the last week, nor has the regular host passed on his trail symbiont to me. Mike has just very kindly allowed me to take over the hosting duties for the opening of this episode. I'm DK. Regular listeners will no doubt have long ago grown weary of my voice, for which I humbly apologise, but have no fear. Joining me today is Hit or Miss's usual host, Mike. Hello, Mike. Hello. It feels weird being on this side of the table, so to speak. But yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm not bad. Yeah, just uh, very busy at the moment with things. Um, as you know, we just recorded our uh, Silver Screen podcast on the Venom movies, and there's uh, lots of things coming up on that, and then finishing off this series of Trek. So I've had that to deal with, and then a few random uh, DIY issues, shall we say, in my personal life. But otherwise, everything's okay. <laughs> nice one. Nice one. Yeah, uh, while you brought that up, go and listen to the Venom podcast. It's fantastic. Mm. It is. It's uh, two hours because we did both Venom movies, but you could always split it into two one-hour episodes. Uh, it came out really well. So, yeah. Nice one. Now, we were supposed to have another guest with us today, Chris, the uh, shelf nerd. Unfortunately, Chris has been held up, so he won't be able to make it tonight. But as a result, you've got the misfortune of just dealing with Mike and myself. But Mike's assured me that Chris will be joining us next season. Isn't that right, Mike? Yes, I've definitely uh, already told him I'm hoping to get uh, the next season on the books at some point before the end of the year, and he's uh, the first call I'll make uh, to hopefully get on next year. Just we've just uh, sort of not had a chance to connect because we've had various things going on, and he's had a bit of a he's had a nightmare of a day. Bless him, he's had all kinds of car trouble, and then trouble with his teeth, and had to have a dentist appointment, and then he's had to look after the kids. So unfortunately, it just didn't come together on this occasion. But uh, hopefully, yeah, series three, you might hear him again. Yeah. Well, oh, we'll hope to see you soon, Chris. Yeah, and all the best to you, Chris. I hope you uh, start to. Uh, I hope your luck turns around. Shall we say after the day? Yeah, I am there, mate. <laughs> right. Well, as you know, sorry, you'll have to excuse me. I've just taken a sip of my bourbon. I've been following another podcast, and it's got me in the mood. <laughs> Fair right. Enough. Well, as you know, this season of uh, Hit or Miss, it's been looking at episodes featuring Borg and artificial intelligence, and in this episode. We'll be taking a look at the Star Trek Discovery Season 2 episode, Project Daedalus, in particular, which features both Section 31's AI control, as well as Discovery Bridges crew, Cyborg-enhanced member, Ariam. So are you looking forward to this, Matt? I am, yeah. Um, I, I've made no secret of my love for Discovery Season 2, uh, and this is kind of a key stone of an episode where a lot of stuff kind of gets revealed or comes together, and in terms of looking at AI, it's genuinely fascinating, and it's, it is a fascinating look at a, um, a crew member who was just in the background uh, as a weird-looking, bizarre people weren't sure if she was an alien or what, so it was nice to get some answers, as I'm sure we'll get into. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. Well, as our regular listeners know, before we get to the episode itself, we've got a couple of sections where we probe the minds of our guests, which this time, in this very special episode, is my fellow host, Mike. Hey. Now... Anyone that did listen so far to our Venom review the other week in the Silver Screen podcast knows just how dangerous probing Mike's mind can be. So uh, <laughs> feel free to buckle up. So without further ado, we now go to Hailing Frequencies Open. Hailing Frequencies Open, sir. Huh? Okay, give it to me. <laughs> As we've uh, all been on before, 
and answered our top three episodes this series. All second-time guests have been asked for their three favourite characters from anywhere in the Trek universe. So, Mike, this is the last regular episode of this series, so it's time you finally answered who are your top three characters. Oh, um, you'd think I would have thought about this, but I haven't really had a chance, and I wanted to kind of come to it kind of fresh. I've got two. The third one I'll have to give some thought while I'm talking, but um, the first character, as I've made no secret of, uh, in terms of my favourites, is, is Spock. Um, in all iterations, uh, I do like all three actors, um, but yeah. I've always related very much to Spock as the kind of outsider. Um, and after being, not to get too deadly serious or anything, but after being diagnosed with um, autism very late in life, I was like, oh, that's what I was relating to with a guy who doesn't understand emotions and how to, yeah, oh, I see what's happening there. <laughs> but uh, so, so it yeah, that's what it did, yeah, and it was like, oh, that's, without even knowing I had that representation, there was obviously something there that I was like, I can relate to this because I'm experiencing similar things. So, um, But I don't think it necessarily, that you have to necessarily be autistic or um, on the spectrum to be able to relate to feeling a little bit of an outsider or like you don't fit in in social groups or you don't want to be feeling strong emotions, but you sometimes can't help yourself. So like, there's a lot yeah. in that character. At the risk of being, you know, at the risk of generalisation, I would imagine that a lot of Trekkies feel that anyway, simply yeah, because of you know our obsessions. Yeah, less so nowadays, but certainly in the, I mean, we we are not super duper young, so certainly nowadays it was a bit of a social stigma to be that much of a nerd, I guess. So that's yeah. true. That's true. Uh, okay, uh, that's fair enough. Yeah, my second character again. Um, this is one that I've I get, not really made a secret of and who I've always loved, uh, and that would be Captain Jean-Luc Picard, or Admiral, sorry, I've demoted him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, because if, if you know me at all, you know that my Star Trek journey was watching original series episodes with my mum on occasion and kind of liking them, but being like, yeah, this is fun, but I'm not hooked entirely because I was very, very young. Um, and then we got Sky TV when I was like 12-ish, teenage or early teenage years. Um, and they put Next Generation on every day at five o'clock. And after a couple of episodes, I was completely hooked. And Picard was the character I was looking at like, oh, I want to I want to be this guy. I idolize this dude. I loved his, um, you know, his his uh, calm demeanor. I loved that he was all about talking things over instead of, you know, because Kirk, we all love Kirk. I'm not dissing the guy, but he was very quick to like, I'm going to punch my way out of this problem as opposed to talking it out necessarily. Not always, but quite often. Um, he was like kind of hair trigger, wasn't he, at times? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had his moments of, of great sort of, you know, Trek ideology and no, we'll talk, we'll discuss it, but they were kind of few and far between. And people, you know, everybody talks about the famous double-handed Kirk punch and everything because there's an awful lot of fisticuffs uh, going on in that series. But yeah, I just love that Picard was a mediator and he was a cultured man. Um, and like I said, I think... There might have been a degree of like looking up to him almost like a father figure in that weird kind of way. Because uh, for a character who started out like hating kids, he was very um, imitatable and very much like a role model, I guess, in that way. <laughs> Which again, they make fun of in, uh, you know, the Captain Picard day in, the, is it the Pegasus episode? Um, so yeah, I did yeah. find myself, yeah. I found myself thinking, I wish I could have that level of kind of calm and coolness. Um, and just go through my life feeling that way. And I will say I had a dip in my love for the character at the end of Picard season one um, because of what happened, because I didn't love that plot line. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's uh, that's a shame because that's just kind of, I don't know if I'll still say that I love this character, but we're now halfway through series two and I'm back on board <laughs> exactly as I was because he's the same man entirely, isn't he? So, you know, yeah. without getting into spoilers and I've loved 
the entirety of everything he's done in these first five episodes of series two of Picard, uh, which we're up to as of time of recording, I've been like, yeah, I can, whoever it is that's writing this season seems to be understanding. And I think Patrick Stewart is bringing his own experiences to that character. And even though some people have complained about uh, various things that have been added or seem to have been added to the character's backstory, it's all stuff that I really relate to and respond to. Um, again, I don't want to say too much in case there's spoilers for some people, but yeah, uh, I like where they're, what they're doing with explaining why Picard might necessarily be the way he is. And I don't just mean the English accent. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely Picard would be my number two. I'm not as caught up on uh, the episodes as you are, as we discussed earlier, but uh, apart from a throwaway line, I don't think they've even referred to the events of the first series. Like no, there's been a couple of uh, a couple of throwaway lines about it, so that they've proved that, um, including one line where I think uh, Rios was basically making fun of how ludicrous the plot is in one yeah. of the recent episodes, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I see. You know what you did." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, nice it's uh, yeah, I'm liking series two of Picard a lot more than series one, and uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, it sticks the landing because. It's it could go. I'm at a weird point where it could go absolutely either way, and it won't make the first five episodes terrible, but it will kind of sully them a bit if the resolution and the answers aren't as good as the build-up. Um, so yeah. fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, nice one. And your third character. <sighs> this is where it gets tough because I don't know. Uh, well, so far so you've many... got two for two with my favourite characters. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, if you remember enough. Last, when you asked me, one of them was Picard, and one of them was Spock. So unless you're going to go oh. with Fontaine for number three, <laughs> I am not. Um, oh. I'd be tempted. I'd be tempted to go with Reg Barkley um, because of he's very relatable to any nerd. Because as I mentioned um, last week, if if anyone's listened to a, the episode with Janie, he's basically just a guy who got too caught up watching Star Trek, you know, and lost himself <laughs> in that world. But again, as I mentioned last week, I don't want to associate myself with that actor's real world politics. So I'd rather not, if that's all the same. Oh, I don't know anything character. about uh, Dwight Yeah, Jones. neither did Janie. She wasn't very happy to have learned, but I was like, yeah, no, he's not a great dude, unfortunately. Oh. But, uh, yeah, so... Always disappointing when think, something like that happens. Yeah, it is. It's disappointing. Well, as I say, I mean, it doesn't have to sully the character, but I'm just very much like, uh, yeah. And as I said, a lot of it's just like, at, at a certain point, does it become a parody of like the you know, basement-dwelling Trekkie nerd, and it's like, all right, you've pushed it a bit far now. You know? <laughs> By the time they had him in Voyager, like, doing the same thing and stuff, I was like, all right, come on, character growth is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he would come close, but what I'm actually going to... This is potentially going to be way out of left field, um, but the character I'm actually going to choose is Saru for my third favourite character. Um, oh. Because... I remember really loving, especially in series two of Discovery, but I loved the fact that his arc was basically overcoming fear um, and being afraid all the time and overly cautious. And again, as somebody who suffers from anxiety, I saw the kind of metaphor and the allegory there of like having to grow beyond that in order to grow as a person. And then obviously in, in that case, it was a lot more literal of like, I went to Vaharai and it turns out you can survive losing your fear glands or whatever, and, yeah. which was a cool story within itself. But I just related to like, it speaks to you'll always be afraid unless you can eventually one day sort of stand up for yourself, know that you're okay, push through, and then become a stronger person for it, uh, which I liked. And plus, Doug Jones is just a fantastic actor. So again, there's a little bit of like, oh man, I wish I had the kind of charm and uh, coolness and frankly talent as an actor that that guy has. <laughs> he's so, also uh, a really nice guy. I don't know if you ever yeah. interacted with him on Twitter, but he's so down to earth. He's such a great ambassador for the show. 
he is for everything, absolutely, because the, there's also a degree of the fact that I, I don't know if he's loves these things that he works on, but he certainly has worked on things from like being the Silver Surfer to starring in Del Toro movies uh, to you know uh, being in an episode of Buffy. Uh, so it's like that guy's just chased everything I love around his career, you know. So, yeah, um, I remember when he was called Cheese on Falling Skies, and he was like one of the highlights of that entire series. Oh wow, I never watched that, but yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so yeah, that and like I said, I don't, I, I can't really get into the other reason um, because again, it's going to be spoilers for the people who haven't been fortunate enough to watch Discovery season four. Um, but he gets a plotline in season four of Discovery, which was at times painfully relatable to me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. It was a very, very nice and very well-deserved plot line, though. I, yes. I did enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, plus, you know, I, I almost wept when he got promoted to captain because I thought it was fully deserved, and I was like, yay, Captain Saru. <laughs> awesome. So he's your uh, your number three, yeah? Number three, yeah. So, yeah. I've, I, I, did, I didn't, I've just realized I did not intentionally not pick any women or people of color in case anybody cancels me. Um, but yeah, it just turns out that's my my three, Spock, Picard, and Saru, I guess. That's that's nothing to, uh, nothing to worry about, mate. Yeah. If I had to, by the way, just for curiosity's sake, Sylvia Tilly's also very close, um, except that she veers a little bit too far into ridiculousness. Because I, I relate to that nervous, I'm just happy to be here, uh, which is why I've also said I can relate to Boimler on uh, Lower Decks, but not enough really? to put them in my top three. <laughs> yeah. Really, man? Oh, yeah, yeah, seriously. Boimler just annoys the shit out of me. Oh, it's, he, he's exactly who I would be. I've, I've said it before, and I'll probably say it again. I'd love to think I would be Riker or Picard if I was in Starfleet, but truthfully, I'd be Boimler all day. I'd be like, I just want to love being here and progress, but I keep putting my foot in it, and I'm doing the best I can. See, the thing <laughs> yeah. is, I, I more relate to Mariner. See, I'm not cool enough to relate to Mariner. I'd love to say that I could, but I don't have that level of uh, of not giving a crap, you know. <laughs> I'd like to think I am, but then again, you've got probably people that listen in and go, no, dude, you're Reg Barkley. <laughs> I mean, I'd happily take being Tendy or Rutherford just for their, you know, cheerful demeanour and the fact that they're just fun. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not the extremes like Boimler and Mariner. They're capable, decent people. They get a bit of a mix-up sometimes, but just like any other Star Trek character. But, uh, yeah, they're always re reliable, I would say. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to shout out is that I would never dare to say that I relate to this character because I wouldn't want to seem like I'm co-opting that struggle. But I definitely empathize most with um, Cisco as a character um, because he's the most emotionally, I think, th the best actor at portraying those emotions and he's the easiest to connect with emotionally. And I've mentioned before episodes like Rocks and Shoals where he has to deal with a kind of a traitorous person that just wants him to kill an enemy that, that you know aren't willing to defend himself or especially far beyond the stars where oh, that should God. be a test for human empathy that if anybody can watch that last scene and come out of it still feeling racist or still feeling that they can't empathize with a character who isn't them if they're a white person or whatever then uh, you have no empathy and we should probably <laughs> have a situation where we deal with you because you i cannot watch that even now i've seen it a hundred times and i cannot watch that scene without just no. breaking down into tears so <laughs> it's it's one of those those pivotal episodes to watch if you're a Trek fan. Mm, definitely. I, when I when I first got real, when I you know I watched Next Generation, watched the first couple of DS Nine, and I wasn't that taken with it. Yeah, the first couple of seasons are rough going. I still don't particularly love them. No. So I, I, there was a, a, a Trek con back in 2012 in London. It was the Captains, mm. and I didn't bother 
meeting Avery Brooks or oh, Kate you. Mulgrew because I'd not watched either show and I thought I'm not I'm, I'm just not interested and then I watched Deep Space Nine going back a year year and a half ago now and I was just blown away and mm. Brooks plays just one of my favorite captains and I wish I do regret not meeting him because I've yeah. got so much respect for the guy that's fair enough um, weirdly enough, I don't love him as a captain because I don't know that the writers kept on feeling that the only way they could make him distinct was to have him breaking the rules and stuff, which I think was a bit of a disservice. Um, but in terms of as a character, I absolutely love him. I just think it was a shame that it was constantly, yeah, like we'll bend the rules or we'll break the rules or we'll break the law, but I'm going to be able to live with it. And all right. <laughs> but for every episode of that, you got really touching scenes between uh, him and Siroc. Uh Siroc? Oh, uh, so, with Jake, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at, again, something like The Visitor, cannot watch it without crying, even to this day yeah. as well. So, yeah, absolutely. That's why I say I think as a character, the strongest, but I wouldn't necessarily say the strongest captain because there was far too much of... Uh, I think it was written by people that didn't particularly like Starfleet or the idea, and so he was always written kind of railing against it. Um, that's my impression of the FN anyway. It's just like they're going out of their way to say, like, oh, yeah, Starfleet's fine and everything, but no, it's not because, you know... The Maki are around because Earth is too much yeah. of a paradise, and that's the problem. Section and, 31 and all yeah, that. Section 31, stuff. exactly introduced, and I was like, this is no. I've never liked the idea of Section 31. I never will. <laughs> you know, They can chuck um, Michelle Yeoh into a show as much as they want, and yeah, I may well watch it, but I'll be like, I don't like this. <laughs> it shouldn't you're, exist. you're an idealist. Yeah, completely. That's probably the word, yeah. Anyway, uh, that was my honourable mentions anyway, but uh, sorry to clog up that nice section one. of the podcast. No, some good choices there, mate, and uh, some good honourable mentions as well. So thanks for that. We'll now move on to the next section, and that's the hit or miss. What about oh, my performance? <laughs> right, so this week I've been put in charge of this section of the show, but otherwise it's exactly the same. I've picked five or six random things from anywhere in the Trek world. But Mike's got no idea what I've chosen. So when I shout them out, I want to know if you got if you think it's a hit or a miss. Some reasons and why, and maybe we can debate a bit if there's a difference of opinion. All right? Yeah, I'm familiar with the uh, the format. <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyone think you came up with it, man? <laughs> right. Well, me and uh, Will Templar. So shout out to him for helping me devise this. Oh, but, yeah. nice one, Will. <laughs> right. So the first thing for today. I'm going to go with Cetacean Ops. Oh, okay. Um, I think this has come up in another episode. And oh, uh, I, well, that's, I that's no problem um, because I, I love it, <laughs> frankly. I know some people have an issue with it. And I do remember having, again, I've told this story in another podcast, but I'm going to repeat it because it's brilliant, um, that I put out a tweet asking what people thought of. It wasn't Cetacean Ops, actually. It was about specifically Kim Alu and Matt, the uh, uh what are they? Beluga Lower whale deck. crew members from yeah. Oslo Adex, yeah. Um, and I put out a tweet about them and somebody, as usual, there's always at least one grumpy person that was like, I don't like it. Star Trek was always serious and it's just made it ridiculous and everything. And for some somehow these, either these he's people just, watch Shaw Leave. Well, <laughs> exactly. Not well, we could name a few, but the best thing that happened out of that was for whatever reason, Mike McMahon, uh, the Lower Decks creator, producer, um, had been monitoring this tweet or had seen it or had come across him. And he left a response to this grumpy troll that was just, you sound like you need to splash around a little bit. So, <laughs> just, I love that he was in a thread that I started and that his response to the trolls isn't like, oh, I'm so sorry you don't like the show or whatever. It's just like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a comedy. Get over it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot of which I said uh, I think last week in the episode with uh, Stephen, which will uh, it'll it's it's not gone out yet as we're recording, but it will do. Uh, when I, I dealt with Ix Quitus and a lot of the people that were like, "This is too far," and it's it's a comedy. Get a yeah. sense of humor. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. So in terms of Cetacean Ops, like I said, partly yes, get over it. It's a comedy. Partly, it was already there because um, Next Generation had those couple of Easter eggs, and it's a nice callback to everybody's favorite movie, Voyage Home, isn't it? So you know the one with the wheels. So, and as I, uh, I've kind of alluded to in the past, when people have brought it up, why must everything be so sort of uh, human centric? You know, it's yeah. like um, that line in Voyage Home: just because a message is sent to Earth doesn't mean it's meant for man. There's other forms of life, so you know, why shouldn't we have you know other intelligent? species or mammals or near sentient life that are serving i'm all for it immeasurably more intelligent exactly (laughs) exactly right so no i would say cetacean ops for me is a massive hit but uh, i'd be intrigued what you would think i would i would agree with you i would have liked to i know it's it would have been impossible with the budget it would have been nice to see them in something like next gen Mm. Uh, yeah i'm not sure how you get around the the communication but I mean, it's Star Trek. Everybody speaks English throughout the galaxy, so I'm, I'm presuming that at some point you've well, got they, to suspend your disbelief. They just make those uh, similar, like dolphin wheel chirping noises in lower decks, and somehow they're understood. So you could just do that, or failing well, that, just um, make sure you have a Vulcan crew member to mind meld with them, like in each of, and then talk. That's true. Them. You've got you've got like a humanoid Rosetta Stone right there. I've not even thought about that. Well, just know. have a computer do it. Just have it that they're linked to a computer and the, the, their voice. You know, they don't have a voice necessarily, but the computer voice is translating what they want to say. So you're just hearing, like, in the background, you're hearing, like, chirp, 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 and then you're hearing, like, hello, welcome to Station Ops, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's doable. It's a sci-fi. For me, personally, again, like you, Station Ops, a hit. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Nice. Uh, no no argument one, required there, then. <laughs> fantastic. The next one, uh, The Travelers. Oh, that's a tough one for me. Um I'm gonna have to say miss on that one. I wasn't expecting to necessarily do that, but yeah, I'm not a huge fan of ill-defined. We can just do it, and it's virtually magic, and we're not gonna necessarily explain it, kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think my mileage varies with that. There's sometimes that it really works, like I love the queue, um, or even like Trelane in the original series. Uh, you know, to an extent, or even when like Kess was said to be like a special case among her people, and she evolved into this other life form or whatever and propelled voyager ten thousand years i was like all right okay um with the travelers i just always felt like they were never explained and it was just to sort of it, it was a almost like a dsx machina of like we just need an excuse for why we can bust out of the universe or out of reality and now we need to write wesley out in some kind of way so it's like uh, okay but what are they <laughs> yeah it does go um, into them a little more within the 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 trek novels i don't know if you ever bothered with them but, uh, oh, I probably haven't read them, but yeah, I would understand that that would be a good place to for a character that's underdeveloped to maybe develop them a bit further. But I'd have to know which ones to read because I'm not a huge uh, reader of those. Yeah, I don't mind him. I, 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 for me, I, I kind of give him a hit because I rank him alongside things like Guardian, uh, Guardian, and Forever. Mm. They're, they're yeah. there; they serve a purpose. You don't get that much explanation, but I like that about certain things, and I think the traveler sits in that that comfortable little bracket for me. Yeah, I don't know why there is certain things that I'm okay with, but not so much the traveler. But I, I just think that episode, 
I can't really remember. It's been a long time since I've seen certainly early next generation. And as you say, when he turns up in season seven, it's it's literally a cameo. It's like, oh, you've grown, Wesley. Let's go wander the yeah. cosmos as light beings. I don't even know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At that, at that point, I was just thankful that Wesley was going. So for that alone, <laughs> I would have given him a hit straight away. Well, even then, he turns up at Troy and uh, Riker's wedding in Nemesis with not a word about it, just in the background, no no well, explanation. As to, they really yeah. just flubbed every single aspect of that movie, I think. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, yeah, they had Jainan in there for a non-speaking cameo as well. It's nonsense. Yeah, they had them there. You didn't have to go into what they'd been up to, but it would have been nice just to see them, if for a bit of fan service. But in the case of Wesley, it was even more annoying because he's in Starfleet uniform. And I was like, his entire plot line was that he found out that wasn't for him. And then you've effectively off screen went, I changed my mind, actually, take us back and make us human again. I'll just pop back to the academy. Yeah. <laughs> like, what was uh, that about? <laughs> so, to, yeah, to I think honest, a little bit it's, of it's one of the least, the least biggest flubs in that movie. Yeah. But yeah, there's a bit of me that's like, this is the kind of the symptomatic thing about The Traveler is because things are so vaguely unexplained and nothing's dealt with as in terms of like, does it matter? Plus, when you've got a character that's as OP as that, you leave yourself thinking, then why are you letting the crew ever be in like danger or die or anything? Like, you know, it's just like, yeah, I can do anything, but not always. <laughs> at least in the case of Q, it's like, well, he's immoral and a bit of a jerk at times. So it's like, you know, he's not going to be like, no, I'll protect you always, all the time. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. that's the trouble because you do, you do tend to say, all right, where were you guys when Wolf 359 went on? Exactly, yeah. And it's like but, you've spent all your time watching this one little freaking annoying character that nobody likes, Wesley Crusher. It's like, yeah, where were you when Tasha Yard died, dude? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair enough. I, I, I don't know. I I, I kind of again, I kind of just think maybe they're just above that, and it's not that mm. they don't care as such. And I think that's a, a bit how the uh, the books portray him. They're just kind of above it all, and what's supposed to happen is supposed to happen. Where Wesley yeah. plays into that plan, I don't know. I don't think again there's probably a really yeah, but... good way that you could write them, but it's just the way that they were written, especially in the one that like I said that sticks in the mind is where no one has gone before, where it was just very much like he just can do it because we need a, a reason and excuse to get to this distant galaxy and a way to get back. So he just can. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, give us something. <laughs> uh, you, uh, that's that's a difference of opinion on that one. I go for a tentative hit, and you're a miss on the. Yeah. Uh, the I'm not like I'm not spitting like I said spitting venom at the character or anything. It's just like I think the. They weren't very well developed as a version of that thing, and other things have been done better. Maybe they could they could have been elaborated on to a, to yeah, a point exactly. where you you would have been more accepting of them. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit more explanation and a bit more of a character, other than just I am magic and can do anything. Fair <laughs> enough. The next one is an episode. Okay, oh. move along home. <laughs> oh, oh, you just dropped that on us, didn't you? <laughs> I did warn you. This is one where, despite what the internet will tell you, in that it's a Marmite episode and you love it or you hate it, I'm pretty much bang in the middle of I have no strong feelings one way or the other with this one. I was oh. like, yeah, it's a bit of a fun romp in that spirit of those early things you get in every Trek series where they're just finding their feet and you're always going to get daft little episodes that are trying something, and I respect it for that. Um, you know, it's not going to win any Hugo Awards for science fiction or anything, but it was... It was fun and it was a, a bit of a romp, but at the same time, there's better episodes for that as well. You know, so, yeah. So I would say probably very soft hit, 
because I didn't find it like egregiously bad or horrendous or anything. Um, when I first watched it, I, I mean, I was shocked at the Twitter response by some people that are like, I hate it. It's one of the worst things Trek's ever done. I was like, when I first watched it, I think I was probably thinking, well, it's at least one of the most entertaining episodes of, let's be honest, a pretty piss poor season. You know? <laughs> yeah. For 90% of season one, I just found myself bored. <laughs> yeah. I think I was just glad that it was doing something like that episode and Q-less were at least actually trying to give you some kinetic action and something happening. And then, of course, you did have the odd gem like Cardassians uh, in there, which is like, oh, see, wow, you can do amazing, great science fiction and not bore me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this was one of the first, it was one of the first DS9 episodes that I actually saw. And as I said earlier, I saw this and I'm like, I'm out. Because <laughs> it, it, I just, when I, when the, the first time I watched it, I just thought, this is just abysmal but it's grown on me so much over the years and now Chula! yes <laughs> it's just one of my favorite because it's just so ridiculous and I, and I just love it and and when you when you look at the actors involved like avery brooks and he's playing space hopscotch but he's and, giving it his all to be fair to him. Yeah, he and, is and not just, playing it for the laughs bless him <laughs> and it's it's just it's such a it's I just want to give the episode. It's impossible. I want to just give the episode a cuddle because I love it so much. <laughs> that it is kind of comfort tracking that way, isn't it? Where it's like the stakes, as much as they play it like, oh no, it could be drastic. The stakes are never really all that urgent or life threatening. Um, you know, there was nothing scary or terrifying. It was all, like I said, a bit of a, a bit of a fun romp. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and at least it didn't have to be in a holodeck that. for that to happen. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes you need that, and. Yeah. I, and I think over time, more and more people have come to appreciate just how nice it is and how, you know, especially when you look at some of the later episodes in DS9. Yeah. It, I think it's uh, it's also one of the things I miss in the newer series is that it doesn't have the time to stop for just a random episode that's unconnected to anything. And it's just like a bit of fun for 45 minutes. Either. Uh, soft hit. I mean, it's not like I will defend this episode as being great. It's like, it's fine. So yeah, soft hit for me. <laughs> okay. Right, the next one, Andorians. Oh, I think I like Andorians a lot. I think they're a massive hit. Um, I will say that this hit is brought to you by uh, the sponsorship of Mr. Jeffrey Combs, who almost single-handedly makes that species a hit. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Because it's all about Shran, isn't it? <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Um, no, the, to be fair. The biggest, the biggest yes. problem with Enterprise not continuing is not having mm. him as a, a regular. Oh, I know that they were going to make him a regular bridge officer. It's like, oh... You know, that fifth season, the fact that they would have upgraded the ship to look more sort of TOS Enterprise and they would have had Shran on every episode and we were robbed. Yeah, as I was saying, though, I did, to be fair, um, it's not all just Shran. I like, I remember liking the design even in the original series because I say I watched them kind of with my mum just as comfort food, I guess, when I was really young. And it was one of the times they actually had a really outlandish alien design it wasn't just like stick on some ears or you know even the klingons were just like put on a little bit of chew polish and give them bushy eyebrows you know so yeah with the andorians i was like this looks alien you know it's got white hair completely blue antennae and it looks really cool so i liked the design in tos and then um they didn't really feature you know beyond that it was always just a kind of like oh this is an intriguing backgroundish design and then as i said enterprise was just like i'll take that baton and we will run with it <laughs> so, yeah. so you it became the, so much more interesting do you remember the holodeck version on Next Generation? The really weird, like, miscolored one from um, yeah, The Offspring. And they, yeah, and they had him with a forehead like the leader from Hulk. <laughs> and it was green for no reason at all, yeah. yeah. 
to the point they're still debating about like, is that a lighting thing? Did they just get it wrong? What's going on? You know? Yeah, I, I remember seeing that. And I'm like, that's not an Andorian. Get no, out. It really, it really isn't. Andorian. <laughs> it's a hit, yes. Yeah, I love the Andorians. See, I think Enterprise did enough to develop them brilliantly, and I'll never forget the absolute punch in the air moment of the end of season three when the Kumari, the Andorian ship, actually comes in and rescues the Enterprise, and you have that cocky like, uh, "Now you owe me one." <laughs> yes. I don't love the constant usage of pink skins when there's a clearly a black man piloting the ship who must have felt yeah. uncomfortable literally every week, and it's like, "Rick, they're not all pink humans, you know." <laughs> <laughs> they did a very good job updating them on Enterprise, not just the Andorians, but races like the Tellarites as also. Yeah, I'm seeing that as well. Um, just to throw to an actor who credit as well as Jeffrey Combs is, um, and I'm never going to get his surname right, so I'll just call him Noah, who's married to um, Mary oh, Wiseman, to, uh, Mary um, Wiseman who played, yeah. yeah, who played Rin in Discovery, another fantastic actor playing an Andorian and uh, crushed it. Gutted that he was kind of written out, shall we say, <laughs> just in case of spoilers. Yeah, and, uh, I was hoping they were going to keep him around. Yeah, it would have been nice because it's nice to have a bit of a diverse, like alien species on the on the crew. I think as well, and we've only really got Saru. I mean, I'm playing Star Trek Online at the minute. I've been playing it for about ten months, but at the minute, and uh, my first office is an Andorian, and ah, cool. she goes into battle with me every single time because she is kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> the Andorians have been really well represented in video games because I remember seeing them on like Elite uh, Elite Force and everything as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe it's because they're naturally quite aggressive. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, they're, they're they're just a really good. I did like uh, I, I liked the few episodes in Enterprise when they went into their society a little more. It was mm. nice to see that. Oh, and I will say this: um, slight spoilers potentially for Strange New World if you're avoiding everything. It is fantastic that they're bringing in Enar as a main yeah. character in a series. Yeah. I was like, and because uh, at first I was like, they're not going to address this, and then they showed the um, as I said the promos for every character. And the character literally refers to themselves as an Enar in that promo. And I was like, yes, justice for Enterprise. And at least you're acknowledging, you know, a really yeah. cool subspecies. And they've actually got a blind actor to play a yeah. or a blind race, which is like, oh, guys, knocking it out the park on every level. I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah. If only we could watch it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> someday, someday, maybe. Yeah. So that's a definite hit on the Andorians for both of us, yeah? Yes, Andorians, and I'll even throw the Enar as a subspecies in there and call them a hit. <laughs> nice one. Right, I'll do one more because that'll okay. bring us up to five because I think we've been talking quite a lot when we shouldn't have. Fair enough. Right, I'll end on another episode, and I think I know what you're going to say to this because everybody's going to say it to this. These are the voyages. You'd be surprised. I'm going to say hit, and I have defended the life of this episode on Twitter oh too many God. times. <laughs> I have never understood the hatred for this episode. I do not understand it. I just don't, you know. <laughs> I can maybe understand it if you're a fan of Trip. That's like, oh, you unceremoniously may have killed him off because you know, read a book. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but it's like everybody's really offended that it. Oh, it's a next gen episode. Yeah, because it's the end of that entire era that started yeah. with next gen. I get so it. Make, it's a bookmark, you know. <laughs> I get that they wanted to to round off the era and like bookend it in a way that encompassed the entire Berman, as you know, Braga yeah. and Ron Moore and that entire era. Fine. Yeah. I just think it didn't serve the cast of the show very well. I, uh, I disagree. I still, again, and I don't know if people just don't see these moments or if it's me being blinkered, but I genuinely still tear up knowing that Archer's going to make that speech at the end of that episode and to Paul's like containing her emotions at the loss of trip. 
and like, oh, you know, you look amazing, go up there and, and make history. And I kind of like that they took the decision for Riker and Troy to walk away so that you don't have to hear it. Because anything I heard would be disappointing from whatever's in my head. <laughs> I don't need to hear it. You know, it's like, To me, yeah. the thing is, you could have had that. I mean, it's, uh, I'm disappointed with the death of Trip. Or supposed hmm. death, if you've ever read any of the novels, I'm uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm disappointed at the death of Trip, but I can live with that. It would have been nice had they just flash forward. It's just said, you know, ten years later, got rid of all the stuff with Riker and Troy. Had ten years later, you could still have had Archer going up to give that speech, and just fade to black with the end credits as he's about mm. to give that speech. I think it's it, it kind of insulting to most of the main cast where it it, it purposely, even, I mean, I was looking at, I was watching an interview with Anthony Montgomery, and a lot of people are still thinking that they, because of that episode, the entire series of Enterprise just took place on a holiday. And well, this this is this is a, a bone of contention that I'm going to bring up again, which I've mentioned in the past. Um, according to Gene Roddenberry himself, the original series is all bullshit and exaggerated, and not how it actually happened. I'm reading his novelization of the motion picture, and it's literally how he starts it because he's not happy with the way that series went. So you know, yeah. if you're going to take issue with, oh, but is it all just a holodeck program? If you want it to be, you don't have, don't have to be though. But if the creator of the show is like, you know, that thing that started everything, it's all bullshit. Again, I'm not I'm not overly I mean I don't subscribe to the holodeck thing. And yeah, yeah, every everybody's got their own interpretation of things. I just think that I mean I was gutted. I've I've always I've always championed Enterprise. I was absolutely gutted when it was cancelled. Oh, yeah. But I just I just don't like the fact that after four seasons they were unceremoniously cancelled. And then in the very last episode, the focus isn't even on them per se. It's on I would two you see I, point. I probably I don't that. a lot, but I, I would get annoying at my countering, but I'm gonna do it anyway <laughs> and say that the characters' names are not the title of the show. Um, and the episode is very deliberately titled These Are the Voyages. So of course it brought in another enterprise to emphasize that the lineage of it and the importance of it. I think that's a good choice to make personally, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like because even yeah. even if they cut out the Riker and Troy stuff, I would still personally prefer that you have that end montage of like. Oh no! Don't get me wrong. I like that where it's going from the Enterprise to the original Enterprise to the next gen. I like that. Yeah, love it. Yeah, but I just think that the I think the Riker and Troy things are very intrusive. I like it because again, the people the people that claim the entire series must therefore be a holodeck have not watched the episode because the whole point is, and it's a good through line, it's well written, is that it's Riker trying to see the relationship between another captain and first officer, and in this case, like Archer and Trip, and in Trip's last moments of life, how what they, what they were to each other, and it's it gives Trip and Archer and Enterprise as a series the importance that that is what changed Riker's mind in the Pegasus. So if anything, it really. Elevates those characters. I think we're gonna to have to disagree disagree on that <laughs> one. I just I love I love Enterprise and I love the characters and I just thought they were incredibly short changed in that last episode for the sake of Riker and yeah. Troy, which in my opinion had their time to shine, they'd had their character development. And yeah, you're not gonna get much more character development for a caster in the final episode, but it just would have been nice, I don't know, to deal with them alone. Yeah, I think it's 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 charitable to claim that you would have gotten anything from, let's be honest, a writing staff that had only ever been interested in three characters on that cast anyway. So, 
Yeah. Well, that's it's not like you're suddenly going to be like, it's the last episode. Let's suddenly write fantastic material for Hoshi and Travis and characters that we've ignored for four years. That's probably the problem I had. It's it's just like you know any 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 anything where it's it's just not all Hoshi. Um, I'm just not interested. (laughs) I get that the issue that they have and a lot of the actors have, which is like it's our show and we're you know resorting we're almost pushed to being guest stars. Um, and I'm like, I understand your point of view, but having said that, if it wasn't like the last ever episode or a finale, there's episodes of Voyager like that and nobody hates them. People don't come out of Pathfinder going, well, the Voyager crew were guest stars in a Barkley and Troy episode. So <laughs> I think it's I think it's just because it was the final episode. If you'd have had that episode midway through a season, it would have been much more accepted. One of the things, though, is that, like I said, you're either going to like that decision or you don't. And because I'm such a fan of Next Gen, I do like the fact that it was full circle and it was a bookmarking of like this isn't just the end of enterprise you know if you want there to be an end of enterprise you can't find a nicer ending than the end of um terra prime that's there for you enjoy <laughs> you know but yeah that's why I think be a wrap it, it was just un- it was kind of unnecessary for me but as i say yeah, we'll just have it. to agree to disagree on that one. Oh, oh i'm sure i'll be in the minority people are going to savage me for <laughs> this but i've Don't never had a problem it, with it. <laughs> if we if, if, hey, if we all like the same thing life would be incredibly boring. I will quickly say as well, uh, um, on the subject of the trip thing, even if you're not like, because, you know, books aren't canon and whatever else, um, if you don't have the Blu-rays of Enterprise, there's a round table with the producers and the cast, uh, and they ask Berman and Braga, if you did get a season five, what was the plan? And Connor Trenier speaks up and was like, well, I'd be shafted. And they were like, no, no, it's science fiction. We'd find a way to bring you back. And I was like, there you go. He's not dead. Clearly. They didn't want to do that. That's fair enough. I mean, look at Harry Kim. How many times did he die? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And I was like, even they didn't want to do that decision. So presumably it was somebody at the network or whatever that handed down, like, kill somebody, it's got to be stakes. But even they were like, if we came back, we'd bring him back. So it's not like, even that bad decision's like, just ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> it would it anyway. would be nice. It would be nice. Now that, I mean, obviously it's been much more accepted into the Trek universe with references in uh, yeah. Discovery and, and things like Strange that. Strange New Worlds has an Enoch character. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> it would be nice. I mean, while the cast still kind of resembled the way they did back in, you know, when it was filming, it would be nice to do some kind of filming. Absolutely. I'd, still with love, you. I'd still love to see that crew. I agree with you 100%, but I would also say it just because time passes by doesn't necessarily exclude it. You could always make it animated. I'd watch the crap out of an animated Romulan War miniseries with that cast. <laughs> you know? You're not wrong there. You're not yep. wrong. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gutted that we didn't get all of that, you know, absolutely good. I know, I know, I'm the same, I think it should never have been cancelled for whatever reason it was, and it was as it was absolutely finding its feet and becoming, you know, the, the show it should always have been, I guess. We'll leave that yeah. one out there. So, <laughs> uh, right, that was pretty good stuff, but uh, now we've got past awesome. those sections, I think I'll uh, hand the reins back to you for this next section, so thank you for allowing me to, uh, to host... And uh, over to you. No problem. Baby steps. We'll get you hosting a full episode at some point when the series comes back, I'm sure. Um, yeah, because I already had made all the notes and everything for the episode. I thought, I'll take over and uh, not give you all the work to do. So, <laughs> no <laughs> so worries. Apologies, you're back to dealing with me for the episode. But, uh, yeah. So, um, as we mentioned up top, we are dealing with the Discovery episode Project Daedalus, uh, an episode with one of the most frustrating titles in the history of Star Trek, because Project Daedalus is mentioned once at the end of the episode, and they're told to go and look for it. The episode has absolutely nothing to do with Project Daedalus, <laughs> which bugs me no end. But never mind. <laughs> 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 
um, as I said, what I've been doing uh, in these reviews for this series is I'm starting off with kind of fast facts and bits and pieces behind the scenes stuff about the episode. Um, so I have a couple of literally just two things here. Um, the first of which is that this episode is directed by none other than Jonathan Frakes, uh, who you might know as Commander Riker, of course, or Captain Riker, or the director of Star Trek First Contact, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, he wasn't initially planned to be the director of this episode, uh, but there was a production delay caused by the well-documented firing of the original executive producers, uh, which caused a like delay in the actual um, episodes being made, and an extra episode was added to the season as well. Uh, so it all shuffled around that uh, Frakes was basically landed with this episode. Um, I never knew that. Yeah, random but uh, true facts. And I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of Freaks flashiness, but I'll mention that when we get into the bulk of the review, because I'm like, I can tell this is Freaks. Now that I've seen the director credit, and I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of, um, he's not interested in static one-shots. There's some kinetic camera work going on here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, fast fact number two is something that's always fascinated me. And it is, if you don't know this, I, I'm still just, this is like a conspiracy theory or something, and I don't know the answer, and I'd love to know. Um, as as with the rest of the second season, Arium in this episode is played by the actress Hannah Cheeseman, uh, who yeah. also obviously gets to appear as the human version of the character prior to obtaining whatever cybernetics saved her life. Um, Cheeseman did not originate the role. She took over the role in series two from Sarah Mitich, who played Arium in season one. Um, why she took over the role has never been disclosed, but it proved quite fortuitous for Sarah Mitich because Arium is obviously killed off in this episode. However, Mitich was given the role of Lieutenant Nilsson, the blonde yeah. human officer who will ironically take over Arium's station and who still serves on Discovery, the ship <laughs> and show to this day. So, I was like, what happened there? It's so weird that she was recast into a role that survived and her original role was given to somebody else. It's... I wonder if she, I wonder if she, uh, you know, were petitioning at that point uh, to be a, a cast member without the makeup. Uh, well, that's what know, ultimately happened. Yeah. Said, the only know, thing I can think is that maybe, thing. yeah, maybe she had a reaction to the makeup that they weren't aware of in the first season because that has happened. Like the, the reason they have three actresses who played Zial is because the first, at least one, had like massive allergic reactions to the Cardassian Bajoran makeup. And I was like, maybe it was the makeup had a reaction. And so, but if so, like I said, that worked out incredibly well for her, considering her original character was killed off and now she's still there as of the end of season four. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's one of those fascinating behind the scenes stories that I'm like, I, I really want to know. I know it's nosy, but I want to know why the actress was switched between season one and two. <laughs> but, you can uh, always ask her. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't know. An she's there on Twitter. Indeed, but uh, yeah. Um, also, I will point out that Hannah Cheeseman, who did play Arium, uh, has returned to play another human version of Arium in the episodes Terra Firma in season three. Uh, this version being obviously from the Mirror Universe, where bizarrely she mustn't have had whatever accident she had because she's perfectly human. So, <laughs> just a bad shuttle pilot in the uh, in the prime time. <laughs> Clearly, being evil is an advantage to be a shuttle pilot. I guess. <laughs> Um, did you have anything you wanted to make known about the episode before we get into the bulk of it? Any sort of uh, first impressions that you had going in or information about it? Uh, it was a, a, a shock because I'd not been I'd not watched the episode since it was first broadcast. And, mm. you know, while doing the research and looking at my notes, I thought, oh, I'm going to be clever here. I'm going to look up the, uh, you know, get get a good term of, the, uh, of Daedalus. And then, like you mm. said... It's just referred to in one line. I thought, well, thanks for that discovery. Uh, <laughs> but 
but yeah, it's it's it surprised me just how much of the episode and season two, to be honest, I'd I'd just completely forgotten about. Oh, that's weird. See, I'm the opposite. I loved season two so much because I don't know. For some reason, it comes together to for me a lot better than the others as one continuous story without feeling like it's dragged out. And because it is such a love letter to people like me that are just like, oh, I can get over the visual canon, but, you know, it better still reference. And, you know, so instead they throw Captain Pike and Spock and the Enterprise. And I was yeah, like, it, oh, I'm such an easy mark with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Towards the latter half of that, that season, it kind of lost me a little. I was I was going, oh, okay, okay, it's it's going on. It this, Watching this episode, f- pretty much from the opening scenes, kind of spurred me to go and watch the, uh, the entire season again. Mm. Because I remember not liking this episode that all that much on first broadcast and i watched it to i watched it this time and i just sat there at the end going the hell is wrong with you <laughs> it was good yeah. yeah i do like i do like the uh just from the from from the very opening i, I just think this it, it's just class i just think mm. there's not one wasted scene in this episode it surprised me how much there is in it because my overriding memory, and this is like the third or fourth time I've seen it, but for some reason, the only thing that sticks in my mind is the through line of the Aryan plot, which is why yeah. I chose it for this season. Um, and watching it back with actually having to like pay attention and take notes, I was like, ooh, it's surprising how much it develops these other stories, like, like the Spock and Burnham and the Red exactly. Angel. I had, I had oh. no idea. All I remembered was the Aryan stuff. I had yeah. no idea about Cornwell. I had no idea about the Spock stuff. Even the little touches. From, I mean, I remember Pike being in it, obviously. But just the little exchanges that Pike has with other crew Oh, members. we'll get to that. It's one of my favourite exchanges. Yeah, <laughs> it just, I was surprised by just how much I'd forgotten. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Um, yeah, so without spoiling any further then, and getting into actually giving our scores, I'll begin with the breakdown. Uh, as we've mentioned, this episode features uh, Admiral Cornwall, who arrives via shuttle uh, to see Spock, who has uh, been accused of murder on his way out of a psychiatric facility. Um, Pike basically has voiced concern about Section 31, and she claims it's prudent, which is good, at least address that. Um, on Basically, the, as a quick side note here, as I've mentioned, you can totally tell this is Jonathan Frakes directing because the entire shot of the shuttle approaching Discovery, landing in the landing bay, then starting as a kind of upside-down camera shot that swoops around to meet Cornwall and Pike meeting each other. I was like, this is gorgeous. This is opening better than some of the movies. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this is that, yeah, this is definitely Frakes' work on this one. I love it. So I've got to shout out that direction. Um, I love that one of the things I love about Spock is that sometimes he can be incredibly like sarcastically glib. And just write it off as, uh, you know, I'm just being logical. And I do love that in the lie detector test, it's all deadly serious. And then she's like, did you leave without permission? No. Well, you've been seen leaving. I checked myself in, therefore I didn't require any permission to leave. And I was like, oh, you got us, fuck, you got us. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm just, just, I've got to say, from the very opening scene, Peck Mm -hmm. nails Spock. And I I know he's got his detractors, but to me, I, I love the guy's betrayal. I'll mention it later, but I don't love the way he treats Burnham. But again, they mention, and I've written this in my notes, they mention that that is out of character. So it would be hard to say, like, you don't understand the character if they've written somebody that they are seeing is out of character. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. okay, I get it. You know. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, the camera um, swoops by yet again. 
uh, as we change scenes from Spock and the lie detector into the corridor where Burnham is uh, protesting about Tyler's innocence to Pike because they believe he's been sending information to Section 31. Um, didn't Again, this is one of the things that only the third or fourth time around have I noticing that this was a, something that should have registered with me is that it reveals later in the episode that it was Arium under the uh, sort of control of control, I guess, who sent those because it just it never it wasn't even a part of my brain that cared about that plot yeah. line the first time yeah. around. And I was like, oh, that's actually really clever that Control did it through Arium and framed Tyler for it. <laughs> and that's just a throwaway line, you yeah. know? So, yeah. <laughs> like, as I say, um, it surprised me just how much I I just not picked up on or forgotten about. Yeah. Same in a couple of cases, yeah, definitely. Um, but obviously, uh, Burnham gets assigned to Spock because um, he's the only other person to have seen the Red Angel at this point. Uh, and she, being Burnham, of course, says that Pike can count on her for the mission and on proving Tyler innocent. So go get him, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Cornwall continues interrogating Spock, who explains that uh, what a Vulcan nerve pinch is and how that's how he escaped and he didn't kill anybody um, because once he determined he was sane, it wasn't productive to stay, so that's why he left. Um, he still doesn't know why the Red Angel chose him, but uh, explains the seriousness that something is trying to wipe out all of sentient existence, at which point Burnham basically walks in and says, I, I believe him, this is serious. Um, Cornwall responds, it's just because his brother. And Spock, again, very coldly remarks, not by blood. And I was like, ooh, it's intriguing because that is very out of character. I can't imagine Spock really acting like that towards anybody. But again, that's that's the, the crux of the episode, isn't it? It's like, yeah. hmm, what's going on there? So, yeah. <laughs> um, where are we? So then I think we get to the Admiral revealing in the ready room that Spock is, in fact, uh, reading as innocent on the test, which is foolproof. But unfortunately, so is apparently the video, which shows him clearly murdering people. Uh, but Pike again insists that's not the Spock that he knows and the footage must be doctored. Um, the Admiral says that, yeah, it's straight from Sophie Psychiatric, but she can't verify it because Section 31 haven't responded in weeks. And Control, which is the threat assessment AI, is no longer accepting her codes. Uh, at which point I noted this is a massive drop of this for the season overall that just completely went over my head at the time because control will become the ultimate big bad of the season and it's yeah. just dropped in dialogue like yeah don't get into it <laughs> um, um she's also convinced that Patar, a Vulcan logic extremist is not just a red herring <laughs> and they must go and arrest her and reset control uh because she's obviously co-opted to control the system uh, and the Federation's in danger because they rely on control for critical decisions, which I've said is an interesting potential comment on the over-reliance of technology, because really you shouldn't have a, an entire sort of Federation that would be flawed because a computer doesn't work. Yeah, like, that, I mean, there's alarm bells ringing when you, hear, when you hear the description of what actually goes on. Yeah, like everybody feeds in data to it and then it decides on the best course of action, but ultimately we make the choice so there's always experience involved as well and it's kind of like did you really need control then in that case <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, again this is the questions that the season will eventually end up asking so it's fair enough um cornwall enters the bridge and i just love tilly's nervous stammering because obviously they're all fugitives at this point in the plot in the season and she's i've never been a fugitive for i mean i had a rad bad rebellious stage when i was a teenager but i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just we've like, all been like, there Again, yes, this is just like, that's exactly what I'd be like. I'd like to think I'd be dead calm and like, it's not the Spock I know, I'll prove his innocence. But I totally would be Tilly, like an admiral gets on and I'd be tripping over myself going, I'm so sorry I didn't do anything. I'm yeah. sorry. It's, I was forced into it. <laughs> just prior to that as well, it's a nice, uh, it's just, a, it, it, it's nothing really in the scheme of things. But I just love the thing where Pike Pike's walking off and he just stops, looks round and he says, let's go. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. No, he's very good in the role as Anton Mount as well. But uh, yeah, um, they have basically found where Tyler, supposedly Tyler's transmissions went, but it seems like it's just nothing. Um, there's there's just empty space, and I think they mention a penal colony or something. Uh, the admiral confirms that yes, it's well hidden, but that is actually Section Thirty One HQ, and they set course and head there at warp because the spore drive has been, you know, hacked by somebody, uh, and they can't use it. So. And then we hit the credits, uh, to which point I've said, that was one long-ass teaser. <laughs> yeah. Everything we've mentioned happened before the credits. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> it's got to be one of the longest. Um, <laughs> awesome. We uh, open the episode then properly after the credits in Arium's quarters, uh, where she's reviewing her memories. Again, this might have went past, uh, past your head, I guess, in the first viewing, but it turned out to be a key scene because we see her before, and that's the first confirmation that she was human. Um, and she has a husband, they just married, and it shows her kind of um, her humanity even after she is what she is now, because it shows her camaraderie with the crew and the emotional connection as, as she's remembering a memory with like Tilly and Detmer and Owo um, in that, the mess hall. That scene, that scene is the one thing that I didn't buy. Just Why? from a, it just looked a little hokey to me that where she sat oh. at the table, I thought that could have been done maybe just a little better. It may have been the framing because it had to be reviewed like a memory in that way and it wouldn't necessarily look as clean, you know, because it is very like you're addressing a camera. Um, yeah. But I didn't mind it. I was kind of fine with it. Um, I, I didn't like the fact is where she's saying, why do you not want to play me at Cars Cart? And she says, oh, it's the same reason as I won't I play, play her at Cars Cart. Yeah. And then, and then she, uh, she mentioned, I can't remember the exact wording, but she mentioned something until he says, yeah, but in all fairness, Ariam does that too. And I just sat there thinking, Detmer's literally just said that. That's yeah. what I just didn't <laughs> like about it. Yeah. Oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> Maybe it's went a bit too far, but at least they are trying to, as I said, give character development. But I have made a note that, yes, this level of character development can signal only one thing. So RIP, Ariam, you're going to be yeah. gone by the end of the episode, clearly. You know, I'm, I'm a TV watcher. I'm savvy enough to know that when you get this from a character who's not been addressed at all before, they're about to die. So... Yeah. Has anybody ever seen an episode of The Walking Dead? <laughs> well, not just or that, like, Buffy or, or anything, you know. Yeah, uh... There's some pretty cool banter about um, Tilly saying she hopes Ariam's saving the memories of her and Ariam responding with, the, those are the first to get deleted. <laughs> but uh, again... We, it's really focusing on her character because we see a, a little vial of sand next to a picture of a human Arium with her husband, and it subtly explains that there was a shuttle crash without actually seeing it. It's like it's exposition in the background, but you can get it. Um, and then again, there's some talk about Tilly saying, you know, sometimes I'd like to be able to delete memories. I would never remember my mum. And uh, Arium saying, you know, if you had to do this every week, you wouldn't like it. It can get really tedious. Which again yeah, is like, maybe. oh, wow, why do we never get to see any of this until now? This it's, is fascinating stuff. It's true, though. I mean, you know, a week at a time, just deleting yeah. every memory. Good grief. My yeah, heart and again, this is just on that line. Yeah, rich stuff to explore that they just, like, left it far too late. And it's like, oh, yeah. wow. You and know? I think that's the problem, what we were going on earlier. Without those breather episodes, you don't get to explore any of this until it's yeah, too late. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, she heads off to help Tilly uh, hacking some information or something. Uh, and we head to engineering where Stamets is getting grumpy at Michael and Spock's silence because he doesn't like the when he's trying to work on the spore drive um, and he demands some kind of background noise, I guess, yeah. as he's talking to the uh, controls and machinery. Um, Michael and Spock review the signal and the Red Angel sightings, but they note there's not really any connection or pattern. 
Uh, Spock seems to still think his first vision was just a warning. They bicker back and forth, and Spock just says he wants to know why the angel picked him specifically to show an apocalyptic future. Um, and his behavior is because he can't logically reconcile it with a way to prevent it. Uh, so there's a little bit of frustration there. Michael feels that they need inspiration. Uh, and uh, this is my least favorite part of the episode. Stamets then goes, oh, well, if you're doing that, then kindly do it elsewhere because your talking's actually got really annoying. <laughs> I was like, that was like a minute and a half and you've changed from please talk, I need the noise to, oh, shut up, you're annoying me. <laughs> but he was, he, back then, I mean, you know, in the first couple of seasons, he was very irritable. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I did like that about his character. He's, he's mellowed somewhat since then. Yeah, I, I didn't like it because the character just comes off as really jerkish to do something like that, and it's like it struck me as like it's it's TV writing one hundred and one. It's like a writer that thinks they're dead clever, whereas nobody would actually act like that. Because in a real situation, Spock and Burnham would turn back to Stamets and go, "It's been a minute and a half, dude. You told us to make noise. Shut up. Stop being <laughs> a dick." Yeah. Anyway, uh, we head to the bridge and Ariam is working to decrypt codes for Tilly, uh, who says, I don't know why Tilly does this, but she mispronounces robot in that hilarious Futurama way and says that, uh, oh, it's great that uh, Ariam is half robot because yeah. she can <laughs> decode these faster. Um, Ariam responds that she prefers cybernetically enhanced and uh, Detmer exclaims three cheers for cybernetics, which has always confused me because there's that implying that Detmer's implant is cybernetic in some way. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be. But... I, 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 I always, I was, I was under the impression that it was because of the result of the, uh, the battle at the Binary Stars thing, and that you know, obviously, she'd had some lumps taken out of her. Yeah, that's weird because it's it's gotten smaller now as the season, as the kind of future tech has become developed, and I assumed yeah. it was just like a skin graft or a. But maybe there is part of a brain gone, and well, she's got a I'm slightly going with, the fact, I'm going with her uh, eye replacement also. Yeah, the eye could have been yeah, blown out as well. That does look well. So yeah, maybe cybernetic eye is what she's referring to. That's fair enough. I didn't think of that. Um, speaking of which, three red lights blink in Ariam's eye, as we've seen before, and she suddenly gets very distracted. Um, I like this because, as I've mentioned in previous reviews, I like it when the audience has privileged knowledge and we get to be more savvy than the characters. Yeah, and we can kind of lord it over, like, oh, pay attention, guys, something's going on. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, they arrive at Section 31 HQ and it's heavily fortified. Uh, it seems to be guarded by a lot of light flare. Uh, so presumably J.J. Abrams was once in command here. Yeah, <laughs> I <noticed> that. <laughs> it really was ridiculous in that one scene. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Anyway, um, they are shocked to find that there are mines guarding it because uh, the Federation does not use mines. Um, this is really a, a bit of a tangent, but I did notice, for some reason I came across one of these... I hate everything new Trek guys on YouTube. And one of his arguments was just the Federation does use mines. They mined the wormhole in DS9 and stuff. So you don't know what you're writing. And I'm like, is it a continuity error or is it just that like they didn't used to use mines? Say, how, you know, how many years apart are Discovery and uh, DS9 at this point? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, either way, yeah, it's proven really wrong. Because... Oh, no, it is ridiculous nitpicking. Um, but I just wanted to mention it because I was like, really? Anyway, uh, Cormo points out that the Federation still doesn't because they weren't built by the Federation, and Pike uses the brilliant line, that's a distinction without a difference. Um, Cornwall counters that they were facing Klingons with cloaking devices, which brings up one of my biggest freaking issues with Discovery Season 1. <sighs> we all just forgetting that the first appearance of a cloaking device was Balance of Terror? Whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Enterprise did the same thing, to be fair, but it just still bugs the crap out of me. <laughs> um, Fair enough, yeah. yeah. 
where was I? Uh, yeah, and then as I say, Cornwall points out, sometimes in war, the terrible choice is the only choice. Pike brilliantly insists that giving up their values in the name of security is to lose the war in advance. Um, he asks if the reason the Enterprise was sidelined was because he knew that uh, was because the Admiral knew that he wouldn't stand for this kind of crap, having previously had it revealed that the Enterprise was sent off on another mission and not involved in the war. Um, the Admiral says that no, the reason the Enterprise was supposedly sidelined was that if the Federation lost the war, the best of Starfleet would survive. And as this conversation proves, that is Pike. Um, so kindly get off my ass. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, that were, I thought that was a really good scene. It's my favourite. Yeah, I love it. I love that it uh, it exemplifies what Pike and the Enterprise are, even at this kind of era where people complain about like, oh, it's all war and the Federation being dark and stuff. And I'm like, doesn't necessarily mean that the Enterprise in your hero's ship is though. And that this kind of basically saves that ship from that level of fate by saying, you are the best of us. We want to all learn from you. So, you know, <laughs> let's get yeah. on with it. Um, this scene I, I have so many feelings about but they're all contradictory uh, because it's basically they're in Burnham until he's caught us and Spock is just nothing but rude he points out that it's amazing that Michael has such a lack of expression because her half of the room is so Spartan compared to Tilly's she finds the 3D chess set and he's just incredulous uh, but she insists it's like a reaffirmation of logic if that's what he's struggling with they argue and Spock just continues to be a bit of a jerk you know but agrees to play and I'm like, I, I, I don't love this. I don't get what they're, what they're saying, you know, about this. I, I like this scene. I it, It's not Spock. I mean, obviously, yeah, he is out of character, but I think it's incredibly well written. I don't know if I would say that. That's the thing. I um, I, I love the dialogue. It, it, it's not the character that you know, yeah, but the dialogue and the way they both play it, it's, it to me, it stands out. And I think it's a, it, that's a good one for me in pretty much most of the scenes in this episode stand out. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you on most cases, but for some reason this one just left me behind because I was just kind of struggling to keep up. Like, what's being said? Am, am I just not understanding the subtext? Or, you know, what, what is going on here? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And as I said, the fact that it's it's one of my favourite characters, as I pointed out, who's acting so out of character, and I'm like, you better give me a damn good reason why Spock is acting so completely different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, Arium is reviewing files from the Sphere we encountered earlier in the season uh, when Narn enters, another of my favorite characters, um, and Arium starts suspiciously questioning her about, like, oh, your bars are that device you need to breathe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I might use this information later. <laughs> but <yeah. laughs> um, clunky, but fine, I guess. And uh, then the lights flicker in her eyes again, and she heads off, and Nan wisely is really suspicious and follows her. And I'm like, dang, a Starfleet security officer who's actually competent? What yeah. are the odds? <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's really good in this. I like the yeah. uh, where she's just keeping her in on in in mm -hmm. in a vision all the time. I like that touch. Yep. She's really good, and as I said, the, the, the fact that we're seeing a security officer who's like, "I've got this. Don't you worry." <laughs> so, yeah. Like, yes. As opposed to a lot of the time, it would just be like, "Well, I, I could never have seen it coming, Captain." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, oh. she, she knows us. Oh. oh look, <laughs> we're all. <laughs> Captain, watch out. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're back on the bridge anyway, and the hacking is being countered. Um, but it's weird because it's not control isn't meant to be AI as such. They say it's meant to be more of a just basic computer, I guess. Um, Arium is beginning to, I think, suspect herself. So there's actually a really nice scene where she says, I'm going to work on this, Tilly, but stand right by my side and do not move. And I'm like, that's really good. They could easily, again, have just had it be that Arium was totally oblivious. But I like yeah. that she is given the urgency of like something, something's going down, something's messing with me, 
please keep an eye on things, you know. Um, and it gives you that sense of empathy for the character because you, you know she's in trouble and you and you and, and you do have that kind of emotional pull because you just think poor poor woman. Yeah, exactly. Um so anyway, Pike heals the Section 31 headquarters and the mines all activate. Cornwall insists that she knows how to get them through it and she wouldn't risk it otherwise uh, to get past the defences. But Pike then hands her basically the centre seat and she refuses and says, no, no, my mission, your ship. Nice little scene. Um, she gives them the route through but says that they have to keep the shields down because the shields attract the mines like a magnet. And I was like, oh, if there's ever a way to build tension, that's brilliantly written. Because can you imagine being like, fly through these mines that could hit you at any point, but you can't raise the shields? <laughs> like, yeah. Oof. And then when they start throwing like razor mines that are cutting through the hole, and I love that Pike is just having none of it, and he's like, raise the shields. Red alert. I'm not just putting up with this crap. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and the ones that knock it blind, with the sensors blind, and she's saying, you know, it's saying we're upside down. Yeah, it says we're upside down, but they're scramble sensors, and she's like, you just have to fly blind like at the Academy. And I was like, oh, <laughs> great dialogue, but it would have been nice to see things like this at times. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, as I said, we go back to Spock and Burnham arguing, playing chess. And it's interesting. It's weird how they do like zoom ins to the pieces and Dutch angles. So it's supposed to be like, I guess, uh, uncomfortable because he's acting very erratic. And she basically questions his behavior, brings up Sarek, and he, you know, um, says, you know, he, he's clearly got a frosty relationship with uh, Sarek still at this point. He criticizes Burnham constantly and how she's. She shoulders every burden alone and she'll never basically grow till she stops doing that, which I've noticed was an actual common criticism of the show. And I was wondering yeah. if that was something the Discovery writers were like, we were going to write this into an episode. And I was like, hmm, because there is kind of a point there. She does rather do that, although she it does eventually a, get proven. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's she just feels like she, she's got to save the universe at all times. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it does. Unfortunately, the writing does then validate her by being like, you are the most important person to do all of this. But um, yeah. It, it can get annoying. <laughs> so um, She basically tells Spock wisely to stop taking the anger out on her, which I'm glad she does, because I would have certainly said that. Um, and then asks Spock if he feels like he's failed as a Vulcan or a human, um, which is very biting and to the point. Uh, she wants to know why he's angry. And he basically starts snapping back with all her personal private stuff that gets to the core. Like, oh, clearly you, you, know, you could have fought the Klingons and it's your fault that your parents were watching that phenomena and you could have, a little girl fighting a troop of Klingons would clearly have made a difference. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> but when, uh, when she tells him to stop and questions his anger, he basically says that he likes being angry maybe. And, uh, you know, he, he's expressing emotion for the first time. He just likes it. So he smashes the chessboard and storms off. And I'm like, what is happening in this scene? I do not get it. I still don't. Like, what see, is I like it. It, 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 uh, it, it gave me flashbacks to the scene in original series where, you know, he, he beats the crap out of that monitor. I don't recall he, that. Or if I do yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, oh, I mean, uh, that was because of an outside influence, though. It was the virus or something. It wasn't just him. On oh, no, no. But, you, you know... <laughs> Every he's always every now and again had to struggle with his emotions, and at this point, you're looking at a, a character that's you know a much earlier version of the one that we grew up with. So, yeah, I do like that. I like that, as I said, it, it fits in with the character as we understand it because we know that, like in the cage, he's laughing and smiling and he's less chosen the Vulcan way of life. So, him saying he enjoys expressing emotion is an interesting thing to explore. I just don't think the season really does all that much. Um, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> Uh, again, a bit of brilliant freaks direction as he focuses on all the scattered pieces and uh, we do a little blurry fade to the next scene. 
uh, where we are on the bridge. And as I've said, it's yellow alert first, but then blade mines are thrown at them and navigational sensors are confused. Um, so the shields get put up and everything. Uh, Pike says it's not a game. And then Michael gets triggered to think back to chess and says, maybe it is. A computer would anticipate your obvious moves, um, evasive maneuvers and such. But if you introduce randomness and chaos, it would confuse it. Uh, so again, they trust Detmer to fly blind. Uh, and Arium is clearly being possessed and tells Tilly to leave and help, despite the previous order, uh, which Tilly does. But again, as we mentioned, Narn is still watching, given the side eye. Uh, yeah. So at least she's not completely free, you know. Um, and Arium appears to be downloading something. Uh, so she sends the signal and the mines veer off and deactivate. And I'm like, hmm, this is very suspicious. And I like that it's written in as like, why would they let us later on? Like, why would they let us come through and beam? But nobody on the Enterprise, uh, on the Discovery seems to be thinking, oh, why did they give up? They're all just like, phew, wow, we did it. And I'm yeah. like, hmm, why would you think that? But they do kind of get uh, a little bit of an answer because they've uh, they've been thoroughly damaged, but then Admiral Patar, I see it in inverted commas, appears on the screen insisting that they're fugitives and they're ordered to come back by Starfleet Command itself and they'll be arrested by treason. Um, but Cormor insists they have to be firm and reset control. So they form a landing party and um, Saru was originally chosen, but decides that he he's onto something. So he wants to stay behind and defers his position to Burnham, uh, as if to prove that, you know, we've got to have her involved. <laughs> but never yeah. mind. <laughs> uh, so close. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but never mind. Um, then this is the next scene I actually do really like, and it's basically uh, we're in engineering, and it's between Spock and Stamets, who I think help each other with their problems in a really nice, like, emotional scene, because uh, each is examining the wrong thinking of the other. Like Spock saying, oh, I'm not special. Why would the Red Angel choose me? To which Stamets is like, you are special. There's a, you know, he points out there's been other half humans and he's like, yeah, but you are unique in the response that you have to that or whatever. And you, you can be special. Um, and then Spock helps him with relationship advice in exchange and tells Stamets, you know, I saw Culber moving out, but I think you're thinking it's because of you. When in actual fact, it's more about how he feels about himself after the whole, you know, being killed and coming back to life situation. Yeah. Um, and I like that because I think it represents both of the best of those characters and why I like both of them when they are both yeah. acting in character the way I prefer. So, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Burnham, Narn, and Arium basically form an away team and beam to the station in EV suits, uh, with Narn having offered to keep an eye on Arium, which again was good. Um, they find blood on a bunch of bodies, including Patar, uh, which reveals they've been speaking with holograms. Uh, and this is when Pike realizes they're actually up against the system itself. Again, throwaway line, massively key. Um, Tilly is panicked because she notes that Arium downloaded all of her memories into Discovery, and they wonder why Control would let them beam aboard, which deduces that it wants something, and it obviously is whatever is now uploaded into Arium's head. Um, before I go any further, I will say, I was convinced this was how they hadn't killed off Arium, because as far as I'm aware, aren't all her memories still technically in Discovery? <laughs> so they yeah. could just like upload them to any other body at this stage. <laughs> that is but true. they know nothing with that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I never thought of that. <laughs> Mamma mia. Like, <laughs> it's the way that it specifically highlights, oh, she's downloaded all of her memories and she wouldn't do that. They're too precious to her. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. I do like the fact as well that, that, that they actually had Tilly notice. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. It would have been so um, easy to just have her completely ignorant to it. But, you know, it showed that she's a, a bright, a bright member of the crew. Yes, definitely. And uh, yeah, because she is capable despite her kind of foibles. So completely. Um, where was I? Anyway, they uh, decide to contact Burnham and Narn only on a private channel um, and tell Stamets that he better have the spore drive ready because they're going to need to be using it soon uh, as, as, you know, realizations dawning. 
Um, I did think it was, it was lucky that when when they contacted uh, Nan and Burnham, Arium was, was lucky not there. Yeah, exactly. Because like, who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that did strike me when they initially said like open a channel, but only to them on private. And I'm like, how does that work? They've got to talk back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so, it turns out to be pointless anyway, and it's all uh, kind of perfunctory because. Um, as they're getting this message, Arium's eyes flash yet again and she springs into action. Um, she fires her phaser and starts ripping out one of Nan's breathing apparatuses, which is a really good scene. It's very, I love the music is very tense in this scene. And again, being freaks, the direction's very kinetic and the fight choreography is very good. Um, there's not that I can see about it because it is just basically like fighting for a good solid like minute and a half, two minutes. Um, I do like, like the fact a, that Burnham fight. used the uh, Kirk two-fisted maneuver though. <laughs> I thought, yes. ooh, that's Subtle, nice. but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, Burnham, anyway, in this struggle, manages to push Arium into an airlock, uh, and they reveal that something's taken control of her through her augmentation, which, as I've, I've made a note here, this, this is super interesting and would have been a brilliant thing to explore, but they just don't have the time, and it's such a shame. Because, like, yeah. I want to know what her augmentation is, how much of her is still human, and how can something take control of her if she still has, like, a human brain and... There's so many questions you could get into there that they're just like, no, nope, never mind. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I was like, oh, such a shame. Um, but anyway, the reveal she spent sent the previous transmissions and Tyler is innocent. Uh, she has downloaded thousands of years worth of sphere data on various types of artificial intelligence, which again is what we're here to discuss. Um, and Burnham is, realizes that this was Control's goal uh, to evolve into a sentient con conscious life form and eradicate all life by using the information that the probe gathered on AI. Um, and this is what we're showing in Spock's vision. So again, this is the season look fantastically forming and sort of showing you where we're going with this. Um, Burnham tries to delete the things that she's uploaded, but Arium is fighting basically to override the airlock doors. Um, a desperate Tilly opens comms to Arium and starts trying to trigger her emotions by sending various memories of her time with the crew. I love this. I love that Tilly is, um, she's not only proactive, she's like, you know, the only solution to this is going to be emotional. I can't yeah. hack my way around it, so... I'm going to try to awaken, again, it's fascinating. Can you awaken the human, the woman in there? Um, and what kind of stories could you do with that? But again, such a shame. We're not interested to do that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Arium seems to snap out of it, but she sounds panicked. Uh, control, have control of her motor functions, um, but she is able to speak now. She was only able to send 25% of the data, but Control wants her to finish. Um, again, it's a nice explanation, but very throwaway, but explains, I think, why Control suddenly becomes a little bit more powerful for the rest of the season. Um so yeah, um, she insists that Burnham has to flush her out of the airlock and Burnham refuses uh, against the protests of Arium and then Spock, Stamets, Pike, all like actually ordering her to do it. Um, again, this line, I don't know if everything is because of you, Arium says to Burnham. And I'm like, isn't it always? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, where, yeah. where to keep that messiah complex going <laughs> exactly yeah just proving spock right why don't you but um again i'm I'm fine with it i'm not like boycotting the show or anything over it, it just gets frustrating when it's written so on the nose um but yeah arium tells the crew that she loves them and to find project daedalus hey dicaprio meme at the last possible oh, second oh, he said it he said it <laughs> and i love this scene i love that the way freaks frames it is that the outer door opens and stamp and um and Arium is blown out into space, and then the camera gradually cuts along. And I'm like, there's no way Burnham did that. She was wussing right out, and it cuts yeah, and shows you Nan having just like held up manually her breathing device and made the tough call. And I'm like, oh, that is brilliant. I love that. I love the direction. I love the the writing choice of like 
Look, we admit it, Burnham would never have done it because she's far too like emotional and whatever, but Narn is competent and knows what has to be done. Um, and I love that Narn is the one that does that because it's her job. And I was convinced again watching this, I was like, she's going to be a pariah for the rest of the season. I hate this because um, I like that character and she was doing exactly what she should have done. And I was pleasantly yeah. surprised at the start of the next episode when they're like, no, no, we completely agree with what you did. You had to do it. And you saved me the, the horrible task. So like, good job. And I'm like, wow, actual common sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, moving back to that, then Arium drifts away and starts reliving the favorite memory that Tilly had sent her, which is her and Stephen, her husband on the beach. Um, and she hears her very own words as the final thing she hears, which is, but we're coming home. And she shuts down as there's a critical failure. Uh, at which point I cry. <laughs> that's very what, emotional and brilliant. What I didn't, uh, what, what, that, going back to what you said about all the memories are still in Discovery. What yeah. I didn't like about that is that earlier on in Discovery, we've seen that when people are outside the ship, they can still be beamed aboard. Why could they not have done that with Arium and just kept her in some kind of stasis until they figured out what was wrong? That is a good question. I'm sure there's a good answer, but I don't know it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing because they do say something about like they couldn't, I don't know, maybe control wouldn't allow them because presumably they weren't allowed to just beam straight from the station because they could have done that then. When she's in the airlock, they could have been like, well, just beam her out. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I thought, you know, this is all going a bit, it would have yeah. just been nice to have it addressed. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to look that up now because that will bug me. So thanks for that. So I'm going to be forced <laughs> to look that up now and be like, oh, yeah, why, why didn't they just... Anyway. Well, you, you gave me the memories in Discovery, so... Uh, yeah. I mean, not only because as we saw that um, Tilly basically gave her back the memories of them in the mess hall and of her with her husband, but she'd have other memories. <laughs> but, uh, it's, this it's comes down to... Aspect, actually, because I'm wondering if Zara which is obviously what Control wanted for itself. I wonder if Zora has any aspect of Arium in her. That might explain why Zora is a bit special and sentient, actually. Yeah. Ah, that's that's fascinating. Okay, I kind of want them to explore that now a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It, I hope they do. But I'm, I'm, I a... get the kind of feeling that Zora's now been kind of glossed over. Um, so, yeah, that concludes the episode. Uh, before we get into sort of favourite things, did you have any other thoughts or feelings you wanted to, to make known? Yeah, it's the whole it's the whole briefness of R.E.M.'s time in the spotlight and mm. it, it kind of is a detriment to the show on the whole yeah. because then it leads you to suspect how things are going to go later on. Like in uh, season three when Detma starts acting strange. Mm. And you just think, oh, God, is she the next one for the chopping block? So, uh, just moving on then into the next bit, because we haven't really dealt with it yet. Um, when it comes to Project Daedalus, who is, we want to know, obviously, this season I'm doing this, what is your favourite character, moment and line from the episode? Uh, and I'll obviously answer the same thing. So we'll start off with what, who was your favourite character in this episode, DJ? Uh, I was very tempted, very tempted to go Spock, but I'm not going to because he is out of character. Even though I think Ethan Peck did a fantastic job this episode, I'm gonna have to go with Nan because oh, I just wow. think she's just <laughs> badass. I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah, she, I, I, again, like I was saying earlier, I love the little scenes he kept showing on the bridge where she's just tucked away, watching mm -hmm. Ariam all the time. This this is a character that's pretty much at the top of the game. She knows what's going on. Before anybody else does, really. 
Yeah, oh, completely. I was. I'm shocked because I actually said the exact same thing, and I wasn't oh. expecting it to be a popular consensus. I said there's so many choices. I might have went for Pike under other circumstances, or um, even Arium. But I also picked Non because it's refreshing to see somebody comp competent and doing what had to be done, even though it was kind of ugly. And the show let her show Burnham up. They let her embarrass the lead of the series as like. Yo, sometimes stuff has to get done, honey. You know, so I was like, yeah, okay, I kind of, yeah, I respect that. <laughs> you know, and uh, again, a lesser kind of actor than Sonequa might have been like, ah, oh, no, no, I'm going to be the one that does the hero moment at the end, you know. But uh, it was nice to have the reality of that moment. So I like that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think it's a, it's a, it's a mess that they uh, they don't have her as a regular. Yeah, I know. I really wished. Well, she was when they, they came back for like two episodes and then they wrote her out, which is yeah. devastating. But yeah, definitely a miss. That uh, actress and that character are great. Rachel Anchorill. She's, <laughs> she's kind of taken my uh, Hoshi spot for uh, number one crush. <laughs> Bring on then. What yeah. was your favourite uh, moment in Project Daedalus then? It's a, it's a tough one because there are so many good scenes on that. And it is a choice between the one on the bridge with Cornwall and pike which i do like but i am gonna stick to my guns and say the chess match in burnham's quarters okay fair enough it's that i it's just the implication of what would have happened at the federation fallen and that puts nasty but gives me a bad vibe so mm. as much as he's out of character in that scene i love the interplay between uh Sonequa and ethan in that in that scene yeah that's fair enough um, yeah, I'm of the same mind. I almost wanted to go with the Pike and Cornwall scene, um, but I didn't for a reason that will become clear in a minute. Um, and I almost picked the end fight, uh, which is really good, and almost went with the Spock and Stamets emotional scene. Um, but in yeah. the end, I remember, if I'm thinking back to what I enjoyed about the episode, I was genuinely thrilled and tense as they were kind of flying through dealing with the mines and stuff. And I was like, that's something I haven't heard from Star Trek in a while, is like just a you know spaceship in danger sequence where I'm like, yeah, white look like it you know so yeah i was like okay i'm gonna pick that as my favorite scene so that's fair anyway. enough yeah um and what was your favorite line from the episode then there's two and i'm unsure which one to go with pick both, I, did like, I, I did like <laughs> the one where uh she says perhaps you're defending him because you're his sister and he says mm. not by blood it's yeah. it's very cold but i do like the way it was delivered but yeah. I think my favourite one, because I'm of that frame of mind, is Stamets, where he does say, you know, can one of you say something, please? I don't like to listen to myself talk when I've got an audience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> that's exactly cool. how I feel. That's fair. If I can understand how that would be relatable, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Um, my favourite line, and again, when something's really profound, I like to write it out in full to give it its dues. And my favourite line, as a surprise to nobody, was... You sat out the war because if we'd lost to the Klingons, we wanted the best of Starfleet to survive. And as this conversation makes clear, that was you and all you represent. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> it's that yeah. kind of thing that, that, that helps make that scene. Definitely. definitely. And, uh, yeah. So um, speaking of that kind of thing, then the next section is, uh, as, as regular viewers will know, my kind of middle finger to the haters and detractors who always claim that Star Trek has moved away from Gene's vision. Uh, and it's when we try to examine that kind of ideology, and I just call the section Gene's Vision. Mm -hmm. So 
with that in mind, DK, what did you pick up on this episode, uh, in this episode that you think represents that kind of great Trek ideology that we perhaps mislabel as being Gene Roddenberry's vision? Uh, well, you've just you've just mentioned one of them, which is the yep. uh, Cornwell to Pike. But I'm also going to go with the, at the end where it's not just all gung-ho and fights and stuff until he tries to reach her through her emotions. Because yes. at the end of it, that's the core of what Trek is. It's about people. Definitely. 100%. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I more or less said the same, so I'm not going to repeat that and just say that the only other things I picked up on were that, um, again, the line, giving up our values is losing the war in advance, is a beautiful exemplification of that through Pike. Um, yeah. And on a more sort of metaphorical level, I guess, it, it, it deals with people's faith in each other. So whether it's like Pike's faith in Spock, you know, that wasn't him, uh, or Burnham's faith that it was wasn't Tyler that, you know, broke these rules or contacted Section 31. Um, there's something about people that are willing to stand up for people and say that even despite evidence to the contrary, I have faith in this person. Um, so, yeah. yeah. They, they, I mean, they like to say that it's not Gene's vision, but I think when you have certain characters that are surrounded by what you would term darkness, that's when the vision shines through all the more. Yeah, definitely. And those moments are there. Like I said, if you look at that exchange between Cornwall and Pike in particular, that, that's the one that kind of stands out. But then even, like I said, Stamets and Spock's conversation, the fact that they help each other both through their emotional issues. So then we usually finish up, uh, as you know, with the conclusion and a score out of five Starfleet Deltas. Um, so did you want to go first or would you rather I did for this one? Uh, you go first. You go first. Fuck. Um, now dangerous. <laughs> I've just scrolled through and I apologize. This is quite long. I hadn't realized, but you know, <laughs> I'll try and make it brief if I can. Uh, my conclusion was this is a thoroughly enjoyable episode in a season that I've made no secret of my love for. There's actual development in ongoing mysteries and a real sense of moving forward, but still time for some great character moments along the way. If there's one thing I could say I didn't love, it would be Spock's behavior towards Burnham. But as I said, even then it fits what we know of Spock in this time. And it's even pointed out to be out of character. So you can't say it's not the writers not knowing the character. Um, we also get a great scene of the Spock we know in his scene with Stamets to kind of emphasize that that's still there. Uh, it's great, obviously, to finally be learning more about the bridge crew and especially the most intriguing one, Arium. Honestly, I don't love the overall idea of her. In season one, I really reeled against it because she seems far too advanced and she begs too many questions, but at least some of those are answered here and it's done beautifully, reaffirming her kind of humanity and the continued tragedy of a character that would have been really cool to see more of. Um, the acting in the episode is excellent from everyone, but special mention definitely to Hannah Cheeseman, uh, who plays Arium. Um, the direction by Frakes is flashy and entertaining with some outstanding starship and space shots to boot. There are the usual niggles about discovery breaking parts of literal and visual continuity, but they don't affect or ruin the story for me. And overall, I was engrossed even on my fourth or fifth watch, and I just really enjoyed it and would call it solid Star Trek. Uh, and I went with four deltas out of five for my score. So Very good. <laughs> what would be your conclusion and score then? Right. Uh, well, mine's it's not an episode I was uh, particularly looking forward to, to be honest. As I said earlier, later episodes of season two, it didn't leave me with the best first impression on original broadcast. However, it was a pleasant surprise to find that I found it much more gripping uh, than I f first gave it credit for. It moves at a brisk pace, zero filler, and moves from one well-written scene to another, especially with several standouts. The important focus of this episode, the AI, proves itself to be a formidable opponent catching its organic adversaries off guard repeatedly and genuinely comes across as a threat, being a step ahead of the crew all the way. 
The ending is to some extent an emotional one. However, the sudden focus on Ariam lets what could have been a much more emotional moment for the viewer, as bar a couple of glimpses here and there, the audience have virtually no attachment to the character before this episode. I understand the characters are attached and were supposed to feel for their loss, but without a prior example of the closeness, and retcons in the episode itself, in my opinion, don't count, the emotional connection is lost. Next time, show, don't tell. It's that misfire, which at any other time may have not been so egregious, if not for the fact the entire episode's built around it, that lowers its score slightly for me. And I've got it three and a half out of five. Like I said, if we'd have had some prior Ariam development before this episode, it would have been a solid four at least. But it's just the whole Walking Dead. Look, here's a background character. There goes a background character. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's not a bad score. And that is only half a point lower than what I gave it. And I was kind of singing praises. So, um, yeah, that's not bad. So, yeah, 3.5 out of 5. I would say still a very, very uh, respectable score. Um, and that means, of course, that we are, uh, if we have to work out an average for the overall podcast, we are saying that Project Daedalus from Discovery is a 3.75 uh, mm. out of 5. So, <laughs> yeah, not I mean, bad. that's... Pretty good, you know what I mean? It's it's upper range, isn't it? So we're touching almost four out of five overall. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, very good. So um, just to finish things off, then the last section we always do on these uh, reviews is the uh, audience interaction where I put out like social media messages and ask for people's opinions on the episode. Um, but being a Trek podcast and being a bit of a geek, I like to call it subspace communication. Incoming transmission. So um, I did actually ask what people thought of this, but I didn't get a lot of responses. I don't know if it's just that people aren't really of a strong opinion one way or the other, but I did get four tweets about this, so I will read them out, to be fair. Um, the first is from at Alex J. Harmon, who says, I quite liked it. I just wish we'd had a chance to say far more from Arium. I thought her character was brilliant. I think we'd all second that, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Malcolm Wood at WoodMally19 just says, I can't watch it without tissues. I have something in my eye. Again, relatable in <laughs> moments, I guess. Yeah. Um, Simon Pittman at Library Player says, great episode. And even though I'd seen spoilers about its ending, it still took me by surprise, especially as we got to learn more about Arium in the episode. So that's fair enough. Uh, and finally, Mario the Trek Dude at iCrow27 just says, I haven't seen them all, but I can say this is my favorite episode. It was shot so well. Kudos to the director. Um, and I pointed out, because they weren't aware of it, that director was one Mr. Jonathan Frakes, to which they were like, ah, okay. <laughs> Fair enough, that explains it. So, yeah, so, yeah that'll uh, that'll wrap things yes. up with this then. And, uh, yeah, Pretty well-received episode all round. It seems that way, yeah, as I say, whether it was just the detractors weren't really commenting or whatever, but certainly there didn't seem to be any negative opinions other than the things we mentioned. We just wanted to see more of the background characters. So well in, in all fairness, the detractors never really show up. So I'll take that as a good sign. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, that's uh, that concludes this and it concludes the sort of regular episodic formats uh, in terms of reviews of the podcast because I am back for one more episode. Uh, in this second series of the Borg and AI, but that episode will be a full episode dedicated to a movie review uh, where I'm joined by three guests for a veritable smorgasbord. Uh, again, I will reveal who they are closer to the time, but myself and three other guests will all be reviewing Star Trek First Contact because, of course, we are. It's the Borg season. We've mentioned it enough times. It's important. We have to talk about it. So, um, And that will serve as a crossover with the Silver Screen podcast as well. Uh, so you'll be able to catch that maybe a couple of days early 
on the silver screen channel and then uncut later on the Trek channel. Um, again, thank you so much to DK for joining me as recurring co-host on this endeavor and for taking the reins for the first half, at least of this. Um, you did Not a great job, man. So. Oh, cheers, man. No, it's very good. And I'm um, yeah, looking forward to more recordings with you and more work on this and on the Silver Screen podcast. So again, if you are interested in movies, myself and DK do have that other podcast, which is Silver Screen Podcast. Um, you can type in Silver Screen Podcast on YouTube, but unfortunately, there's a few called that. The actual YouTube URL is Marvel Man Mike, because it was my own personal one before I took it over. Um, or you can just go to at podcast underscore screen on Twitter and follow the link. Um, that's if you're a cinephile or a movie fan. I do think we've got some great reviews up there, so I would recommend that if you are interested at all. Um, and again, you can maybe watch the first contact review early through there. Uh, this podcast is at HOM Trek or Home Trek. Obviously, you know where to find us because you're here. Um, and I personally am at Ian Mike Wilson on Twitter and just my name all over the internet, wherever Michael Wilson's are sold. Uh, and yeah, what about you, DK? Did you want to plug anything or tell people where you are? Uh, my, uh, I've, I've just had a, an article put up that's on trekkies.live. Uh, it's called Exploring the Fassa Frontier, which I'm not sure if you're an old foggy like me, but it delves into start, the old Star Trek, the role-playing game from the 80s. Game. Yeah, awesome. uh, and I can be reached on Twitter at aka Starlord, because like Mike, I'm a Marvel sucker also. <laughs> awesome and again if you uh contact either of the podcast twitters obviously that information will get to dk i must uh, pass on some information to you to get access to those as well but uh awesome so yeah that's uh as i said the last episodic star trek we'll be reviewing for this series but do join us again for that last episode uh again i think it'll be popular first contacts are fairly well uh, regarded movie so enjoy that and in the meantime remember we are starfleet live long and prosper live long and prosper